Have you ever been to one of those restaurants where the server puts down in front of you a menu so big you think they've made a mistake and dropped you a copy of the encyclopedia? You open it up and there's just page after page of menu opportunities. And it's almost overwhelming, all of the choices you have. And you begin to wonder where you even start to go through a menu like that. And, 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 and if you pick this, what next should you have? And will it go with that? And then what in the world is that particular ratatata fooey stuff anyway? Do you know that kind of experience when you're just overwhelmed with all of the options? Some of you are immediately thinking the Cheesecake Factory. And that would be one example of what I'm talking about. It is a glorious thing when, in a moment like that, to have a waitress or a waiter come up to you and say, may I suggest you try our chef's menu? May I encourage you to consider the possibility of having our chef's menu? Because suddenly this vast encyclopedia of opportunities is distilled down to four exquisite courses. And I mean carefully thought through, paired choices. You have there, first of all, a marvelous appetizer made from the most delightful ingredients, unusual to find, something you'd never make at home. And it's followed up by a, a, a fabulous entree that just sets your mouth to watering. And then there are those, the third course, some seasonal veggies that are not only looking a whole lot better than that kind of wilted stuff we get at home, but it, it's even in the colors of the season. It looks so beautiful, you almost don't want to disturb it on the plate. And all of it's followed up by this delectable dessert. And you sigh in relief. And you say, yes, I'll have the chef's menu. Only can you bring me the chocolate-covered peanut butter ecstasy pie first. <laughs> it looks so good. It has been my experience that sometimes opening this book can feel a little bit like that experience we have in the restaurant at times. This, too is a vast encyclopedia filled with so much stuff. We know that, that what is in here must indeed be very nutritious and helpful because it's the only thing that could explain why so many people across multiple cultures and generations, indeed millennia, have sought out this particular menu to find their sustenance in life. But where do you start? as you open the Bible? And which parts go with that part? And how do they relate? And, 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 and what is this part even mean in the first place? Have you ever felt those things? As you've looked through the Word of God. Sometimes, one of the greatest gifts that we can be given in life is help navigating the course of life and of God's leadership in it. And that is why I think it is particularly good news that I can tell you today about the chef's menu of Scripture. It is a four-course feast that will be served up 
in many of the finest dining establishments of the Christian faith today. In fact, all over the world, this four-course menu is being served. And you're going to have it served to you here at Christ Church today and next week and throughout the year ahead. Now, the official name for this menu is the Common Lectionary. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of the Common Lectionary. We have printed up copies of this, uh, and you can find those copies available to you uh, in the brightly colored insert that you see in the upper left of the projection screen that says invitations. You can get the same menu uh, there on, uh, in our website by clicking on that uh, graphic. You can find the, the courses in the menu for next week in your Pathways Bulletin today, and we'll continue to provide that kind of advance notice. Uh, the way it works, however, is like this. And this is what I want you to be especially sensitive to. Uh, each lectionary menu contains just four scripture passages. A short passage, uh, not one that's terribly difficult to get through. Each one of them uh, really worth reading. There is a psalm. There is another Old Testament passage. There is a gospel reading. Then there is a text from the epistles, the latter part of the New Testament, sort of like a dessert. Each of these four course menus is designed to go along with the seasons of the Christian year. It traces the rhythms and the roles and the great themes of the Christian year. The menu changes every single week. And it will introduce you each week to four new passages. And by the end of the year, if you stick with it, you will have fed upon some of the richest fare of God's word possible and been profoundly strengthened by it. Now, I recognize that the chef's menu approach to life is not everybody's cup of tea. I, as my family could readily tell you, I'm a buffet kind of guy. I, one of my happiest moments is, is going out to the brunch on a Sunday. We don't do it often enough, in my opinion, because I, I love to have choices. I love to, to pick and choose. I like to decide, will I go to the omelet station first, or will I hit the prime rib table? Uh, I love that. I find a way, generally, of skirting as quickly past uh, the, the table where the cauliflower is being served as I possibly can. I want, after all, to save some room to visit the ice cream table because, after all, somebody worked very hard to freeze that ice cream <laughs> and, to, and to dole out just the right amount of butterscotch. And I want to show respect and appreciation for them. Many of us, I think, are like this when it comes to the Bible as well. We pick and choose from the banquet table of, of God's Word. We keep returning to the parts of the Bible that we understand or find ourselves affectionate about. We like the parts that back our particular brand of politics. We like to go for those sections for which we have a natural appetite. Who doesn't love the stories of Jesus? Just don't give me too much of that Old Testament stuff, some of us say. We pass over the plates of things that would be challenging to chew on. The really tough teachings that feel like gristle in our mouth. The personally convicting portions 
where, where God's word is nailing not those other people, but us in our behaviors and patterns and idolatries. We want to skip past the stuff that would probably really challenge us to broaden our perspective. We want to leave behind, in short, the ingredients of healthy living for which we, frankly, don't have much of a personal taste. In that sense, I suppose we are sometimes a bit like that um, main character in the current AMC smash hit show, Breaking Bad. I don't know if any of you have uh, lowered yourself to watch that. I, uh, I binge watched it throughout the course of my sabbatical. I wanted to be culturally educated to know what was going on in the world around. And I confess that I became hooked on this particular show. For those of you who do not know it, the program tells the story of a very mild-mannered high school chemistry teacher, a nerdish kind of guy whose name is Walter White, who suddenly discovers that he has terminal cancer. And desperate uh, to be able to provide for his wife and their disabled son, uh, Walt decides to use his chemistry skills to make methamphetamine for a local drug dealer. Uh, it's, a, it's a very out-of-character move for this man. But he is driven to take this step. He tells himself this will only be one step. He'll only do this, this once to provide the infusion of cash that his family will need. He'll, he'll, he'll only venture so far, and then he's done with it. He's out of it entirely. You can probably guess what happens, can't you? It just doesn't work out that way. It turns out that Walt's passions, his pride, his greed, his envy, his lust, you know, all of the deadly sins that are simmering within him as they simmer, I suppose, within all of us, they get the best of Walt as one unintended consequence of his moral confusion begins to pile up upon the other. And we watch spellbound as this seemingly gentle, uh, good, responsible man is transformed subtle degree by subtle degree into a vicious, murdering, death and drug lord. And it's an amazing change. I think the show is fascinating. I think it's a morality play in a sense. Because I think it illuminates how the process of personal destruction takes place. So often we think that, that, that ultimately the, the, the lives and relationships go awry because of really big factors, big decisions, big problems. But so much more often what kills our character in relationships is not the huge obvious crises so much as it is destruction by tiny little degrees. Like, like Walter White, we think, I'll just break bad a little bit here. You know, just this one time. And then I'm done. You know, I, I'll just take a little look at this internet site. I'll just flirt a little bit with this person that's not my spouse. I'll cheat just this one time on this test or on this tax return or this business deal. I'll, 
I'll just ignore for a little time these needs my kids have, and then I'll get back to them. I'll just neglect this responsibility I've been given this one time. I'll just fail to deal with this hurt that just happened in our relationship. I'll just stuff it down now, and, but eventually I'll deal with it. I'll just tell this little lie, and then I'm done. Then I'll go good again. This breaking bad is just a tiny piece of my life. It's not the definition of it. I think of the poem someone once shared with me. I heard a knock upon my heart. Who's there? I cried. And the voice from without said, a little lonely sin. Enter, I said. And all hell came in. What happens to Walter White in Breaking Bad is no different than what happens to many people in the biblical story. It's the story of Adam and Eve. Just one little bite, just one little taste, one little bit of breaking from God's calling can't hurt. It's what happens with David In his encounter with Bathsheba, just one little look, just one little leer over the balcony can't be all that harmful. It's what happens with Judas Iscariot. Maybe one little reach into the bag of the common purse. How can that be so awful? It's it's what happens to all of us at various moments in various ways in our own lives. What struck me was how much of Walter White lives in me as I contemplated his story. But what, but what hit me even harder as I watched this show was the parallel change in moral sensibility that occurred for me as I watched Walt's fall. Uh, you know, when I first started to watch, I was horrified by even the little things that Walt did that were out of character, that were sending him... I I would almost, you know, grimace at some of the choices that he was starting to make. But like the lead characters in HBO's Hit the Sopranos or FX's cop drama The Shield, the hero, the hero of Breaking Bad exhibits just enough vulnerability, just enough compassion and care towards certain people in his life that that I start ignoring the collateral damage that's being done by him in these other ways. I kind of like the guy, and so I kind of ignore some of the bad stuff going on in his life. I start to forgive it. I start to even accept the heinously cruel things that he is doing. I was even cheering for Walter White by the end that he wouldn't get caught. Why is that? Because I look at myself the same way. And I dare say many of us do. As long as we can always find in ourselves these places where we're clearly going good. (laughs) Where we're kind and compassionate. When we're we're upright before the Lord and, and others. Where, where our character displays some virtue, it becomes easy to excuse, overlook, 
those places where we're simply breaking bad. Walt is totally depraved, as the, the great Reformed theologians would say. Totally depraved, absolutely in need of, of confession and forgiveness and transformation in his life. And yet, his fatal flaw is that he has just enough good in him from at least a human vantage point that he can excuse himself and never really look at the depth of his need. He is surrounded by so many other morally compromised people that he doesn't look that wicked by comparison. And so step by step, degree by degree, he loses his soul. He loses his way. What happens, I wonder, when this psychology that is common in individual cases becomes common across an entire culture? What happens to a civilization that becomes comfortable with tolerating a little breaking bad? After the tremendous riots, the looting, the violence that bathed the city of London in the summer of 2011, many of us won't even remember that, We belong to the Crisis of the Week Club, so it's difficult to even remember how anarchic and and shocking was the violence that was going on in otherwise civilized London in the summer of 2011. But following that particular period, Jonathan Sachs, the chief rabbi of Great Britain, wondered about what was happening in his culture. The rioters, Sachs ventured, are evidence, and I'm quoting him here, of the tsunami of wishful thinking that has washed over the West in our time. We have let ourselves believe, he said, that we can have it both ways, that we can have the good and the bad living side by side and everything will be okay. We can have sex without the responsibility of marriage. We can have children without the responsibility of parenthood. We can have social order without the responsibility of citizenship. We can have liberty without the responsibility of morality. We can have self-esteem without the responsibility of work and earned achievement. And the rabbi went on to contend that this moral confusion, this both-and way of thinking, is also responsible for the economic crises at some level in our age. He writes, good and otherwise sensible people got persuaded that you could spend more than you earn, that you could incur debt at unprecedented levels and consume the world's resources without thinking about who would pay the bill and when. And then he said... And I think this is particularly striking. He said, we have so successfully killed religion off in the West that there is no counter voice any longer to the culture of buy it, spend it, wear it, flaunt it, because you're worth it. We've lost the capacity to even hear that voice any longer. The message is that morality is passe. Conscience is for wimps. The single overriding commandment is, thou shalt not be found out. 
It's the commandment by which Walter White lives his life. What do you think? Am I being overly pessimistic that I go grouchy during my sabbatical? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Are the struggles of our day just the normal ups and downs of basically good people? Or are we, in a very real sense, breaking bad at a level that is unusual, that needs correction, that especially requires the sounding of a clear voice of truth and perspective? Are we just consigned to a world in which good and bad are now uh, simply a matter of personal convenience and taste, kind of like selecting from the buffet table of our various moral options. Is that where we are? Or is there a better way of life possible for us? On the chef's menu today, there are four courses laid out for us to take in and to benefit from. There are elements of wisdom here that I will hope you'll take in yourself, read for yourself when you're not here, and digest for yourself. But let me give you a foretaste. In Psalm 1, King David of Israel challenges the people of his time to be very careful about the path that they are walking in life. To to be very thoughtful about the company they are keeping and the counsel they are seeking. And the reason why he is so uh, particular about this is because he has experienced the calamity that came to him when he lacked care in the steps he was taking, the company he was keeping, and the counsel he was getting. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, Our second course, Moses commands Israel to choose the way of life that God has laid out for his people. Do not be seduced, he says, into thinking you can break a little bad here. Go off and chase this idol, this alternative God there, and and it will have no consequences, even if you're keeping up uh, the show of religion in these departments. Don't be seduced into thinking that won't be ruinous for you. And then in Luke chapter 14, Jesus reminds his would-be disciples that following after him is not simply a matter of making minor adjustments, of looking a little better. But to follow after him means making a significant turn and change in one's allegiances, so much so that it's like leaving your family behind to go with him into the life of the kingdom. Then in his letter to Philemon, the Apostle Paul challenges Onesimus, or rather Philemon, a slave owner, to deal mercifully with Onesimus, his runaway slave, because Christ has established higher rules of relationships for his followers than society has given them. And Paul is saying to Philemon, don't think that you can be a little bit for Jesus and and yet cleave to these bad patterns that our society has taught us without ruin. Live by the higher way. At the center of each of these four dishes is one big idea that is meant to nourish us deeply. Building your life on the strength of God's word 
will bring you blessing. That's the big idea. Taking in, feeding on the strength and the clarity and the truth of God's word is the secret to blessing for you, for the people you get to influence. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, says David in Psalm 1. Keep his commands, his decrees and laws, and the Lord God will bless you, says Moses. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Let them take in what I'm saying and be changed by it and act on it, says Jesus in Luke chapter 14. And then in Philemon 6, Paul says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective, may make a difference in deepening your understanding of every good thing. As we begin this new year together, I want to extend to you this simple invitation. Come. Try the chef's menu. You'll be blessed by it. Come. Really try the chef's menu. And you will be blessed by it. Dare to do something very countercultural this week as a beginning of response to that invitation, if you would. I'm going to ask you to lower the priority that you put on searching the newspapers, uh, listening to the pundits on TV, uh, scouring the web, uh, searching the text streams, studying the Twitter feeds. You don't have to cut these things entirely out of your life if they're helpful to you, but do not any longer believe for a moment that they're your most important source of information. Lower the priority of these things. And conversely, raise to priority one the necessity of feeding upon the Word of God in your own life. Make an investment, even a small one, in letting the the glorious creator of the universe, the lover of your soul, the saving hope of our world, feed you with what you need to keep from breaking bad and to help you with going good. If you really want to make the most of this invitation, then here is what I encourage you to do. First, commit to reading and reflecting on the four passages from the lectionary menu we'll give you each week. Make a commitment that you personally will dedicate enough time to reading these four short passages in between the weekends. This is the easiest Bible reading plan you'll ever find. Okay? It, 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 doesn't get, it doesn't get dumbed down any lower than this, okay? We have to at least be able to do this if we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus and lovers of his word. As you read these passages, ask yourself some questions. Um, what's the theme here? What's the big idea? What's the thread that connects these four passages? Because they have been purposely paired with one another like a great menu. You'll find a common theme there. Secondly, What is this telling me about God, his character, his will, his nature? Uh, Thirdly, what does it say about human life, about people, about the opportunities and the perils that are out there for us? And finally, what's the takeaway for me in these particular texts? How many of you think you could maybe find time 
to read four short passages of the scriptures in a given week. Raise your hand if you think, maybe I could do that. And if, and if you're not raising your hand, you're just exhausted. Bless you. We're going to pray for you. If you don't think you can find time to do that, we'll just pray for you. Secondly, come to our worship services on the weekend. Okay? Make that a priority for yourself this year. Uh, be here and let some of our uh, preachers unpack the meal further for you. Think of us as like the, the, um, the foodies or the sommeliers you might find out there in the popular culture. People that are really nuts about the menu and who have studied it carefully and plunged themselves into it deeply and who have a capacity to help you taste and savor the goodness of what God is offering uh, to you. It will be our pleasure and privilege to help you with that on the weekends. If you can't be here in person, watch us live stream or, or connect with our media library and, and let us continue to help in that nurturing process. Finally, if you want to fully maximize the invitation uh, of this year, remember that God does not, did not design us to eat alone. Okay? He did not design us to eat alone. If you are ever in a restaurant and you see a, um, a mother of small children dining alone, leave her alone. She needs the peace and quiet. But almost anybody else, invite them to join you at the table. Uh, companion them. God intended us to live in community. Process further with other people the spiritual food that God is giving you. Let the, let the preachers on the weekends know the questions you have about the text, how you're experiencing them, what God is, is saying to you through them. Talk with people during the coffee hour about what, what, what God prompted by way of a thought or a feeling in you as you digested uh, the scriptures. Uh, discuss it on the drive on your way home with the person you came to church with. Uh, as you took in the meal, what was it that was working in you? Discuss the text with your family around the, the dinner table at home. Get with your small group and process this material together. We'll supply you with some further resources for this in coming days. Let me just close by asking, what's the takeaway for you today? I've been up here blathering quite a while. We've looked at a number of different scripture passages. What's the takeaway for you? How is this feeding you? Equipping you? Let me tell you what it is for me. As I've wrestled with these scripture passages this week. I do not want to be another Walter White. I don't. I don't want to be one of those people. Who, 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 who who lets himself break bad because he can point to all these other areas where he's going good. I want to get clearer about who I am, whose I am, what I'm supposed to be about. And I don't want to be just one more reason, one further evidence that the world is breaking bad today. I want to be part of its going good. I want it to, to have my life be so rooted and, and strengthened by God's word that every circle I enter into, my family, my workplace, the wider marketplace, my social circles, experiences blessing because I'm there. Because the Lord has blessed me. 
with clarity and truth and power and, and virtue. And so I'm going to accept God's invitation. I'm going to do it. I'm going to come and I'm going to eat every week from his menu. And I'm going to see him change my life. And I'm going to see him change others' lives through the influence he lets my life have on them. And I want to say, you come. You come. And do this too. Please pray with me. Our gracious God, we thank you that you are our life. You are the one who made us. You are the one who knows what it takes to sustain us, to save us, to renew us. And so, Lord, I pray that you will give us the capacity to act upon the promptings of your Holy Spirit alive through your word and that we will leave this place, even this morning, more committed as your followers, uh, more strengthened for your good purposes. Keep us on the journey. Keep us responding to your gracious and glorious invitation, we pray, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.